Hello, 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 one, hello all and welcome to episode number one of Movie Bollocks. Um, the other option was to call it Talking Movies, but that's just so, just stunningly average. <laughs> and there's, about, I mean, you know, Talking Movies, yeah, there's probably a million podcasts, TV shows, whatever, called that. So, what can you expect on um movie bollocks. Well, I'm going to be chatting to um, the good, the great, anybody who will have me, anybody who will take the call, as always, is who I'll be talking to. Um, it will be, I'm going to be talking to musicians about their, their tastes in movies and what they're into, and all, all sorts of stuff like that, because quite a lot of the people I interview about music are also heavily into films. Um, um, as, you know, who isn't? Aren't we all? I mean, you're listening to this, presumably, because you're into movies. So there you go. But we will... Especially in this kind of, in in the environment that we live now, it's and and this interview is a prime example of it. Actually, whilst talking about movies, we are going to be, end up talking about TV as well because TV has obviously changed massively over the the last ten to fifteen years and and, and become almost one would say the equal of um, uh, of cinema. Um, and so it you know it's absolutely yes we talk it's movie bollocks but we'll also be including tv as well because let's face it um you need to um on on, and what what have i what have i seen lately um last night in fact just last night um i watched hostiles which is from 2017 starring um uh rosamund pike and christian bale it's very good it's got i mean Within the first four minutes, that's probably the the most shocking first four minutes I've seen for some time, I can tell you. Really enjoyed it. It's epic. It is almost old school in its unwillingness to rush its story. Um, it's, it's, it's quite slow, but it's enjoyable because you just, it just looks incredible. There's a beautiful soundtrack. Uh, it, it, it's not for everyone. Um, it is kind of like an old school movie, if you will, but I really enjoyed it. Is it a Western? I guess you'd call it a Western, but not in the typical Western mode. Um, I've also watched the recent re-release, or rather, sorry, re-release, remake of The Invisible Man, um, which was excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, It was very, very uh, well done. And there are some some outrageous uh, kind of jumps in it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it's just, yeah, uh, I can, I, I can recommend that. Now I'm, I am going to, you know, fill you in on what I've been, um, what I've been watching. Um, just sharing my, you know, ideas with you and thoughts and feelings as always on the topics of, uh, on the topic of movies and TV. Um, I, and I, I will even, st- I'll even, even watch things like The Gentleman. Um, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, it's, uh, it's the new Guy Ritchie movie. I hate Guy Ritchie with a passion. Um, he's a public school boy who was born, who was uh, raised in a pub, uh, born and raised within, Wealth, who went to a private school in Hertfordshire and seems to think that that qualifies him to write edgy Cockney gangsters. And I also have never forgiven him for the film Revolver, which is the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. It was so bad that my girlfriend, who went with me, fell asleep during it. And I went to wake her. I went to wake her because she'd fallen asleep. And I thought, oh, no, no, I'm. I'll just leave her. And she was grateful. 
It was so bad that whilst driving home from the cinema, um, I spent a good five minutes punching the steering wheel, pretending it was Guy Ritchie's face. It is that bad. You watch, and and, and I've been told this because I haven't watched it, but um, if you listen to this, if you, if you watch it with the director's commentary on, it's quite clear Guy Ritchie didn't know what he was doing. Um, so there you go. A little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent. First one of the movie uh, of the movie podcast. Um, but yeah, Guy Ritchie, whatever. I didn't get um, Lockstock. I've never watched Snatch, but do you know what? I might actually, I might actually have to watch that for you now, and I might have to watch The Gentleman as well. In fact, I'm re- I will try and give The Gentleman a go, um, and uh, hopefully I won't forget to mention what I thought of it on the next movie podcast, because these are going to be coming out as and when, okay? There's not a regularity to this. They will be coming out as and when. All right. And look, that's enough. That's enough of me because this this podcast ain't going to be about me. It is definitely going to be about my guests. And my guest for the first ever episode is Paul Knight, who is a BAFTA award uh, winning editor. He edits uh, currently Peaky Blinders. He's going to talk to you all about bits and pieces um and this is a, this is this hopefully is a really good example of, what, of where we're going to go um because paul obviously is is within the business so there's a certain amount of our conversation is technical a certain amount is um is is, is concepts and, and attitudes and a certain part is is just a you know sharing our love of tv programs and the sopranos um but yes there will be there will be um more to come on this podcast um, but Paul's up. Paul's the, the the first person to agree to speak to me, so I'm very very grateful for that. Um, and uh, and yeah, he's just a couple of miles away, and we literally just had this conversation. Um, so I'm gonna, I, I will um, I'll, I'll come back to you um, after the interview um, and leave you with some some uh, some bits and pieces to watch on TV in case you were unaware of them. And um, but for now, here's my chat with the man himself, Paul Knight. Hello. Hello, Paul. Howard. Hello. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm very well. How are you? Very good, thank you. Not bad at all. I'm actually uh, in front of my avid as we speak, weirdly. Oh, really? Yeah, I am. I'm. Uh, even though I'm not working, I'm working. I'm not working. That was the first thing. That was that was pretty much what I was going to say. Actually, I was I kind of. Um, interested to see if you've got any, if any projects have come up um, because of the current situation. Well, yes and no. I mean, no, not really. I mean, I've, I, I, I've got these um, these little videos that I do um, um, for America, and they're kind of like a, just kind of like little uh, infomercials, if you like, just kind of like a, a just local infomercials, and they're you know it's a few quid here and there, but it's nothing. Nothing to kind of write home about, but it keeps me busy. It keeps, you know, it keeps me kind of like working in terms of keeps the brain ticking over. Yeah, and and I I would imagine that uh, I mean, it I, you know, are you able to sort of get around to 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 things that you haven't been meaning to do? Obviously, from a personal point of view, but is there is there is there any way you can can work? Is there anything that you you know? Is there anything you do, or is it literally a case of like the rest of us? You just got to sit here and go, well, you know, because I'm same as you. You know, I'm a freelancer. Um, yeah. And um, no, money-wise, there's, there's, there's very little I can do to earn money because no one is 
is doing anything at the moment. So um, what I'm doing at the moment is uh, kind of doing stuff that, that I never normally have time to do, like, for example, um, a bit of project management, sorting out all my uh, sound effects and, 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 and media management, because obviously when you're working constantly um, and you've got different jobs that you kind of finish and then go straight on to another one, it's, um, it's very easy to, to not kind of keep on top of your, your, your management of your, of, your, of your media, which is like, so if, for example, I've got like a, a basic, um, well, it's not basic, it's, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's very comprehensive uh, list and, and, and organization of my music and sound effects, for example. So I've got like a massive library of sound effects and music that I take on every job. But you're always loading in new score, new music and new sound effects, depending on the project. So it's quite hard to keep them organized when you're working um, as well. So you kind of just kind of throw them in and thinking at the end of the project, I'll find a bit of time to organize it. But I never do because I'm always busy. So I'm using this time to... Um, just kind of go through and, and, and try and delete duplicates and, and, and get rid of stuff that I don't need and organize yeah. my sound effects into, you know, although they are all pretty well organized, I've still got like thousands that I've taken in that I need to put into certain folders so I know they're all together. Like if I'm looking for a certain car sound effect, example, yeah. I'll have one bin with all my car sound effects in, um, but I will have also loaded in lots of other car sound effects on other projects that I've now got to figure out where the media for that is and go through my old projects and find all the bins that I've loaded them into and kind of c- c- consolidate it all a bit. It's a bit of a minefield, but uh, now's the time to do it, I suppose. No, I can, I, can totally, I can totally appreciate where you're coming from as well, as in a... Um, you know, trying to find that particular sound when you're working on a project, and presumably yeah. without everything without everything organised, you, you you know that can divert you for hours trying to find what oh, you know is the right sound. Hours. hours and hours and hours and hours, and that's yeah. So I'm just kind of like um, it's it, I'm just trying to figure out a way of um, minimising that, and and I think that's just going to be me going through everything and and, and organising it. As well as I can. I, I, in fact, when I was working on Peaky, I got my trainee to do a kind of like spend two weeks organising it as best he could, which he's done a great job on. But it's still, I need to go over it and, you know, refine it. I've got like, you know, maybe 200 bins. And when I say, do you know, do you know what the Avid is at? Do you know, do you know much about the Avid? Um, I don't know. What is that? Avid is, is the kind of industry, industry standard editing software. Right. Okay. So all the big feature films, all, you know, 90% of what you see on television on, and on, on cinema is cut on Avid. Right. It's a software. It's like iMovie or Final Cut Pro or Premiere. And, it, you know, like that. But this is a, yeah. a kind of industry standard um, interface software that is, is brilliant, uh, uh, you know, not just organizing projects, but it's, it's a very versatile bit of kit that you can add, add stuff to and you know and, and do pretty much whatever you need you can grade in it you can obviously do sound work in it picture you can do lots of different things yeah it's the uh, it's the pro tools of uh, of editing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's terrible. that's exactly what it is it's the, it's the pro tools of the picture world yeah 
Right. Okay. Well, that, well, that that kind of leads me in nicely to to from a music perspective. I kind of mm. I look I look at editing as as the the musical version of mixing, right? Um, as mm. in, you know, you're you're given what you're told is a finished project, and you've got a and you've got to piece it all together and and basically make it you know releasable as it were. Um, yeah. And there's an old saying in the music business that. Um, you know, you can't fix it in the mix because if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. Um, well, that's really interesting because in, in what I do, yeah, the saying is, don't worry, we'll fix it in post. Meaning that whatever is not done properly on set, the editor will fix. Yes. Yeah, and pre- presumably that's increased greatly um, as CGI is, and what you can do has become more and more, you know, uh, the we scope are... has just gone... If, 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 if editing was, was, was a movie, it'd be Harry Potter. It's like, it's like the dark arts. It's uh, <laughs> what goes on, what goes on in, the, uh, in the cutting room, you would not believe in terms of uh, what we do to create performances out of nothing, create story that wasn't there, yeah. uh, enhance story that's been written, change strands. I mean, you name it, we are, we, it's what we do. And, and people don't understand what editing is all about. They kind of, people think editing is visual effects or they think it's kind of, you know, um, it's kind of just cutting the boards off or it's kind of any number of things. But editing is, is unless you ask the right questions or know about it, you, you, you'll have no understanding or no comprehension of how um, important it is in bringing everything together and getting the story right. I mean, it's from... Literally, from, from when you get the material, you, as an editor, I will compose scenes from, from you know, the millions of different scores and soundtracks that I've got. I choose bits that I like. I cut music together to get the right score. I'll do a sound design. And, that, and that's not just... And, and then, obviously, I'm, I'm telling the story with the pictures as well. So it's very much a, um, a holistic approach to, to the whole thing. Right, right. And, I mean, that must be... Presumably, you've you it's you know you you've got all sorts of example examples of when you've been you've been given a load of stuff and you just think oh you you know it, it, it this is going to be a lot of work whereas other times like every other industry stuff arrives and you're like wow this is really you know this is on point and there's there's you know I can put yeah. this together but do you ever do you do you work you know do you work with a director would you rather edit alone or do you or do you get edit directors kind of sat down next to you because that must be a frustration. Well, it, it, it kind of depends on the project and what stage of the project you're at, what director you're working with. It, there's lots of only variables. Quite often, um, I work with directors that give me a lot of autonomy because obviously I've got you know, a fair amount of experience now. And, yeah. and, and, and with that, that's what I bring to the project. And that's why I get hired. But, that's, but that, that, that presumably as well is, is, is there must be nothing more frustrating than getting hired because they rate you then sitting next to you and telling you what to do. Well, that's, and that, those are directors that I don't work with. And I've been in that situation where I've, you know, it's always nice to work with new people, but sometimes you roll the dice and, and it doesn't come up in your favour. And you, and, you, and you have those directors that will sit on your shoulder and tell you what to do. Um, and then you might as well have a monkey doing it because yeah. you know what, what you're not doing is you're not getting the ex- all the years of experience that I bring to a project. Yes, it's, it's pointless. You know, I, I don't work with those directors anymore. There's all 
there's always a stage where you need to sit down with the director, always on every project. But the good directors will know when to back off and let you get on with it and come in and then say, okay, this is great. Let's now work with this and see where we're going. Yeah, and, and, and presumably as well, you've got... You've got, um, you've got, ex- you know, you've got times where a director will say, like, you know, that scene there, right? This is what I want it to do, and I know we got it. I know we got yeah. it, and it's not quite right. And you, and and like, you know, you've been sat there for however many days, going through hundreds of hours of of, um, of footage, and presumably at some point you have to turn around and say, look, mate, you ain't got it. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do, and obviously you have to be very, very diplomatic. But <laughs> yes, yeah. You know what's really surprising, and it always, it, it never ceases to amaze me, what you can achieve in the edit. And sometimes I'm, I'll, I'll look at a scene and I'll be like, we're never going to get this, we're never going to get this. Yet through, through sleight of hand, through music, through sound design, through, you know, montage, whatever it is, all these tools are that are your, at your disposal. All these dark arts. Oh, it is, and it's yeah. and, and I I never profess to know, ever be able to say one hundred percent categorically that something will or won't work because you have an instinct and that's great, but you will never know what you can achieve um, through exploration of the material. And quite often, it's, it, it surprises even me that sometimes you you come up with something that is 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 much more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and and for that reason, is it? Do you do you ever do you ever read reviews or or, or especially of stuff you've worked on? Uh, no, I don't. I don't seek them out often, uh, to be honest. I mean, sometimes I do, but I don't seek it. I don't. I don't really feel like I need that kind of. Um, I mean, you know what? The, <laughs> the the saying that I think for me encompasses what I do the best is opinions are like arseholes, and everyone's got one, and they all so, stink. <laughs> And I always think, I mean, you know, some so nicer than others, but it, an opinion is, is an opinion. And yeah. one person's opinion does not make anything you do more or less worthwhile. It's just an opinion. And this is what I've been telling my, my, my eldest son, Jake, has um, uh, applied to LSA, uh, the London Screen Academy. Right. And he applied here and did the interview and, and everything else. He, he, it went really well, he thought. Um, and they didn't give him a place. Uh, and it all boiled down to one person's opinion, this this one tutor, one teacher's opinion. Um, and it was the whole thing of, you know, opinions are like ourselves, everyone's got one. Yeah. You can't let one person's opinion of you define who you are and what you do. So he reapplied, redid all the meetings, um, redid, redid everything and got in by... <laughs> Just applying that that if you, if you if you let someone's opinion of you you know dictate how you are going to be then 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 it's going to be a very frustrating existence certainly in the freelance world. yeah sure and um, and presumably that was a tick in the box for you as well because uh, it proved that what you were what what you were telling him wasn't bullshit it works and and do you know what was really nice a director that uh, Anthony Byrne the director that I worked with on Peking on, on a number of other jobs wrote Jake this lovely letter saying you've just learned your most valuable lesson in, in, in the film industry and that is don't take no for an answer and be your own person and that's and that's the one of the best lessons you can ever learn and you, he learns it early so uh, for him that's great yeah that is, that's absolutely that is, that is that's lovely and uh, and you mentioned you mentioned Peaky there is there any um, is there any work on the horizon for that or can you not say well I should be uh, two weeks 
I should be uh, just finishing my second week of uh, editing Series 6. Oh, oh well, yeah, never mind. So, uh, a, week before, um, a week before I was due to start, the principal photography was uh, 23rd of March. So um, a week before uh, I got a call from the producer saying uh, we're standing it down, obviously due to the coronavirus. So um, obviously that, for me, that's a year's worth of work, which is, uh, you know... <laughs> Something that you can't, you know, you got to rely on where you you, you you plan to a certain degree, but yeah, a year's worth of work is, is hard to lose. It's very hard to lose, but it is what it is. And you know, although I'm not two weeks into PG, um, I'm uh, my my son is I'm teaching my son editing, so he's going to the film school. I'm I'm at home. I've got all the um, equipment I need, and he's he's basically recutting all the PG scenes and probably doing a better job. <laughs> That's amazing. Does he realise how yeah, lucky he is? He's. Do you know what he he realises how lucky he is? I mean, he's got all the all the raw footage, everything that was shot on season season five. He's got access to. I'm here to kind of help him learn the, learn the system, and he's doing great. He's doing really really well. It, it, he doesn't necessarily want to do this as a as a career, but I think any you know the, the more strings you've got to your bow, and the more you understand about the industry as a whole, it can only be good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, because you because you just uh, well the thing is it's like uh, it, it, to take a bit of a tangent, but you'll get you'll get my meaning is um, in uh, Ajax the football club every every player um, when they're coming up has to play in every position, and the reason they do yeah. that is because when you eventually settle on a position to play regularly, you will understand everybody else's position and you will understand how they want to receive the ball from you in certain situations, and it's the same yeah. it's the same thing, isn't it? It's exactly the same. It's, you know, the, the more the more information that you can have on on, on loads of different uh, departments, the better you will be at your job. You just will be. I mean, you know, it, it, you can't have enough information. I'm always surprised that you know the more I learn, the more I realise I don't know as much as I thought I did. Then you're always learning. You know, in this industry, I think every job that I do, I'm learning something new about not just editing, about the process, about how things work and about different people's jobs and then you you also realize that what you thought was definitely a way that, it, that, that things worked isn't and there's always a little bit of kind of flexibility in each role and i think it, 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 it i'm always amazed at how much i learn on every job and i've been doing it a long time now yeah, and well, the thing is though, but it, like you never stop learning, do you? Because if you it, it, if you did, it would it would mean that you know you your your enthusiasm goes as well. Yeah, no, you're right. That's exactly right. I mean, I every job that I do, I just try and you know take on as much new information as I can, and it, 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 I'm always really surprised at how much I do learn on on different projects. Like the last the last project I did, I learned. It was a very, you know, it was, it was quite a, a tough project uh, in terms of getting getting it right and getting more out of the material than necessarily was there. But I learned so much about what you can achieve with n- not as much as you think, <laughs> and, that's, and, that, and that is where that's where the good stuff comes from. Like, but that, you know, yeah, absolutely. That that is the that is the uh, a a fantastic quality to have, but but b yeah. Being able to being able to uh, create more with less. I mean, that's a that's you know, that makes you a very attractive proposition as well, doesn't it? It does. It, it makes it, 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 it. It's never. It's never. 
it's never a no. You should never never say no. In my in my experience, yeah, the answer's always yes. You just got to say, let's try, let's try, let's see see what happens. You know, if if you shut things down, you, you're never going to know where you're going to where you could end up. So it, it's about being open and 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 willing to explore things that you don't necessarily think will work. Yeah, you you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, I'm I'm interested to um, uh, you you were saying about cutting sound together as well. Is that to, is that f- yeah. is that specifically for you? Are you give are you given um, like like for instance what, what whatever the composer is working on, or are you you create basically a you create a a, a, a mood track as if you were, and you say like, look, this is this is the music that I've put to that scene, and that's the kind of mood that so what? you know. More often, quite often, um, a composer will not have been chosen by the time I start. You know, composers get chosen sometimes before the project starts, sometimes during, sometimes after, sometimes they change. But what I try, if, if I know a certain composer is going to be working on the, on the project, I'll try and collate as much of their material that they've done previously and work, if I can, with that. It doesn't always work because sometimes you want a certain mood or a certain rhythm or tempo or a style that they haven't done before. And in, in that case, I'll go back to one of the millions of soundtracks that I've got loaded in for temp score. But I try and um, use that composer's work, if I can, um, to temp what I'm doing. And, and one, of, one of the things that I love about what I do with the editing process is I get a complete autonomy to... to to, to compose the episode. So I will, from previous songs that have been written, previous uh, series or episodes or film scores or whatever it is, right. I will create a blueprint of what the music needs to do in terms of arcs and rises and beats and, and everything else that a composer can then emulate in their own style, keeping the, the tone as, as I've set. I think that's really one of the key things I really enjoy doing is 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 is, is composing with 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 tent music. Yeah, that's that sounds like it, it's um, it, is that something that you've, you've just picked up over the year that you, years you started doing or you saw somebody else do or is it just it just kind of evolved? It's kind of um, it just kind of evolved from you know every job you do you're learning on, on things so, and sometimes you'll see other people do certain things. That's a great idea. I'll pick up on that. Sometimes yeah. you're working with with directors that they, you know, they'll be like, oh, "Let's let's find some music for this." So over the years, I've just kind of fallen into this way of working where I like to have not control, but I like to not when I'm working with pictures, I need to have that sound design and that composition of music to work with as well yeah because that will inform sometimes how i cut a scene well you so, that's yeah because you're, you're informing the emotion of the piece aren't you yeah and one one you know one doesn't work without the other you know sometimes you don't need music and sometimes you do need music and when you're working when you know that there needs to be music then it, there's like a synergy between the picture and the sound and the sound design not just the music the sound design as well sometimes you're you know, you'll, you'll let the music do a certain amount of the work and, and then you'll let the sound design take over and then maybe bring the music back in. And that will inform sometimes how, you know, how long you'll hold a shot, the rhythm of the cutting, um, montage work occasionally. It's, 
integral. I think, you know, I like to take a holistic approach to, to, to the whole thing because um, it's a medium that, that, that feeds off each other. When you're watching something on television, you know, you're watching not just the images, you're also listening to the sound design and the music. And sometimes you're, you won't necessarily understand what is making you feel a certain way, but it's generally a combination of all three. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I like to work from the beginning. I, some editors don't work with um, music or, or sound. They'll cut, just cut the picture and they'll let the composer do his or her thing and the sound designer do his or her thing. But I like to, um, yeah, I like to be uh, be involved in, in, across the board in all of those elements. Well, presumably as well, that gives you a better feel for the finished product. If there's no music, then it, it's it, it's hard to get that feel. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not to say that sometimes the composer will do something different and it will be much better. But yeah, I, I like to I like to kind of work to a finished product or something that even though it's all temp, it's something that someone could watch and go, I get it. This is it. I understand. I understand the emotion of this. I understand the, the um, everything about what we're trying to do, the story we're trying to tell yeah. from my tracks. Have you have you ever got um have you ever have you ever been in a position where you've got where you've 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 got you've you've seen the final cut and it's all been signed off and and then you and then the the composer has kind of taken what you've done and either left it as it is or only tweaked it slightly and you've ended up you've ended up kind of doing the music as well. Loads. Yeah, loads. I mean, loads. <laughs> Brilliant. More. I mean, it, but but again, I, you know, I've been I've been editing for a long, long, long time. So <laughs> yeah, you know, with that. Bring- certain amount of experience and instinct I guess so you kind of sometimes you'll just you'll just get it right and you know sometimes you don't get it right but when it's right and people know that it's right then sometimes they won't mess around with it but particularly if you're like if you're working with tracks that that composer has written before for for other things and you found a banger that works absolutely brilliantly for the scene, they'll just tweak it a little bit. And, you know, they, they don't always need to reinvent what, what, what's been done before. Well, and you've got, a, you've got a raft of tunes to pick from with, with Peakies as well, haven't you? Well, that's it. I mean, we, um, when I was editing season five with Peaky, um, I had all of the previous music loaded in as well. So um, yeah. I had all that to work with. So I tried 90% of my temp tracks were from... Uh, not the music, not not the actual songs, but like the actual atmospheric stuff was from previous seasons. But also, um, um, Anna Calvi did a brilliant job of, 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 of bringing something new, that kind of guitar, um, that kind of twangy guitar kind of uh, feeling to, 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 to this season, which I thought was great. So she was doing temp score for us as well, which I was integrating as I was going along. Right. Okay. So, did that? Did that mean that you had to that you had sort of lines of communication direct with her? Yeah. Yeah. She, she came into the cutting room and and she'd be sending temp tracks and we'd be feeding. You know, as we were still editing, she'd be feeding temp uh, temp tracks in and we'd kind of say that's great. And then I would be able to cut those, send them back, and she would like be able to you know riff off that. So it's kind of like we're all bouncing off each other. It's great. Yeah, I was just going to say that's re- that's really nice because as you were saying before, it's a bit, it's quite a solitary job, which is which is fine but when you get when you get to work as kind of like part of a team like that that must be that must be quite nice it's great actually yeah because certainly when you're you know when you're working with people that just want to do good work and they're not too precious about anything other than just doing great work 
you, you can the, the collaborations are amazing. So when you're working with people that just want to, you know, push push things as far as they can go, and are, and are open to kind of you, you know, you interpreting what their work, and sometimes when they send stuff over, you think, well, okay, well that's going to inform the way that I'm, I, I've already cut this scene. You will then recut because what they've done is, is, is sparked a new idea. So it's just it's about not being too precious and 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 using you know everything at hand to just to, just to do the best job that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as with anything, like you say, it's, it's it's people being open to it. It's a lack of ego and everybody going, look, let's just let's work as a team. Yeah. You know what? I, I like to say that a good idea, it doesn't matter who has a good idea. A good idea could be from anyone. Yeah. You know, when, when I'm talking to, to, to Tam at home about what I do, it's like a, a good idea. It doesn't matter who has it. It's it, it, from. from if, if someone says, says 10 bad ideas but one good one, that's still one good idea. You've just got to try and filter through what are, you know, the good things and the bad things. And when you're working with certain execs, you know, sometimes they'll give you a note. It's not a great note, but <laughs> they will... But, but what they sometimes do is, is in that note that's not great, there'll be something that, that, that sparks something, a niggle that you've got. And, and, and although they might give you a note on a certain scene, what they're in fact, the, the, the note behind the note is, well, the scene before it isn't doing what it needs to do. So it's not feeding into this one, um, into, into the next scene, which is what they think is the problem. But in fact, the problem is the previous thing. So if we tweak that, that will address, you know, the, the, the bigger picture. Yes. So yeah. It's kind of deciphering, it, it, it's, a, it's a certain amount of deciphering through the note. Yeah, and it, and it, it, it's funny you should use that phrase because it's it is quite it's quite musical. There are there you know there are quite some sort of parallels there. Um, and um, I, I'm, over the years, have you ever have you ever been um, hauled in to kind of do a right? We you know we need an overhaul. This ain't getting released. We've put this cut forward. It's not happening. Um, and you know you're given notes and you've got to, you've got to start from scratch and recut something or you know. It's, right. Saving from, a project uh, from my own work, or from or picking up from someone else. Picking up from somebody else. Yeah, I've done that a number of times. Where a producer that I've worked with before, or a certain director, or whatever, you know, and it's not through no fault of the other other, other editor. I mean, I've had it before myself. I've been fired off a job, and someone else has come on to to, to carry on. You know, sometimes personalities get in the way, and it just doesn't quite work and gel. Yeah, but yeah, I've been brought. To, to, to recut other people's work and it's it's unfortunate that it does happen but it, it, it's not uncommon and like I said I've had it done myself where I've been taken off a job and someone's come on and recut it and it, it's kind of the way it is and, and I think it, to a degree that happens when everyone else runs out of ideas so it's not necessarily the editor's fault right it, it's, I, I kind of think yeah well you know it's it's much easier to get replace the editor and get a fresh set of eyes on than it is to kind of fix something that other people should on the team should be able to fix. Yes, yeah. So you you end up carrying the can in that situation. Yeah, I've I've been, I've been fired a couple of times in my career. In my you know it's a long career, and luckily I've only been you know moved on a couple of times. It hurts, of course it does, but you have to kind of you have to kind of try and be a bit philosophical about it and think. Well, okay, fresh set of eyes. Of course, they're going to bring something new um, that, that we've not, not all thought about. But 
uh, you know, in the editing, when, you, when you're editing, it's not just the editor that should be coming up with the idea. You know, you've got the yeah. directors, the producers, the exec producers, the writers. There's a whole raft of people that should be, um, you know, all pulling together to, 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 to tell the story. And, and replacing the editor does, unfortunately, does happen more often than, than, than is nice. Yeah. And but I, sorry. I have, in this, I have been in this situation where I've, I've, I've taken over from really experienced editors who have done a brilliant job. And sometimes you don't need to do a great deal for the powers that be to, to you know, to, to, to prefer that. And it's, 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 it's a bit unfortunate, but like I say, it does happen. And, and for me, I, I, I would never, I would never once think that whoever I'm taking over has not done a great job because invariably it's just, different it's not better or worse it's just different yeah and to that extent it's it's almost like the old i mean it's a creative industry let's face it if you work in a creative industry and you haven't been sacked there's something wrong yeah well i'm 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 in the good group then because i've been fired a couple of times but again you know i've been i think i've only been fired twice in my you know and i've been editing for God knows how long, for a long time. And on one of those occasions, I was actually brought back onto the project um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, so, that's, that's good. Uh, I've had a good run. I have had a good run. And, and uh, But like I say, when, when they do replace editors, 99 times out of 100, it, it is not the editor's fault. Yeah, yeah. And you say you've had a good run. How... Um, I'm, I'm interested in how you... How, how do you end up as an editor? You know, was... How did you, you know, is it something you stumbled into? Is it something you realised early on you wanted to do? How how does that process start? I I, I still don't know what to do when I grow up. I still think I'm going to be... <laughs> that a, makes two of a, us. That makes two of us. A or I'm going to be an astronaut, or I'm, I don't know what I'm going to be. But I Fireman. Know. I don't think... I'm, yeah, that's one of those things. I stumbled into it. I mean, I, I you know, I stumbled into it, and I think... Luckily, with the creative industry, you can, if you work hard and you show aptitude, you can get pretty much where you need to be. Um, it, and luckily, it's not an industry that, that, that worries too much about whether you get a, an A star or a grade nine or whatever it is. I think if you've got, if you can get on with people and you've got a really good work ethic and you're not, you know, not afraid to roll your sleeves up and get involved, then you can get, I think you can get to where you need to eventually. Yeah, and, and I think, it, as you said, uh, um, attitude is key. It really it's is. Key. It's really, really important to, you know, just to be a, I think probably one of the biggest assets anyone in the freelance world can have is people skills because, yes. you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're interviewing for jobs. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll do like four or five meetings a year for jobs. I don't always get the jobs I go for. Uh, I don't, you know, sometimes I'll do a great interview and I feel feel like I've bagged the job and I, I don't get it. Sometimes I've done what I think are terrible interviews and I still get the job. But people skills and being able to, you know, work with a, a huge array of personalities is probably the biggest asset that I've got, I think, is, is in my toolbox. I think that's probably my, my, the, the biggest kind of skill that I have and that's to be able to just kind of get on with people. 
Yes, um, and I think it, it, it's it's so it's so important, especially in the creative industry. If you can be a if you can be a a person who is a uh, a solver of problems as opposed to a causer of them, um, yeah, I mean, it gives you a I long had way. The exact same conversation with my son the other day. It's, you know what? You know, if you if you if you're a problem solver, you will do well. You know, it's really easy to to point out what the problems are, but people don't want to work with. With, 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 with problem pointers out of, they want to work with problem solvers. And that's, you know, editing is a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle with no, with no picture in the end. It's, it's, a, it's a puzzle where you explore lots of things and you try lots of different scenarios out and you, you're trying to get those pieces that join together. And in the end, you know, you come up with, you know, your, your final jigsaw piece. But there's a lot of experimenting that goes, you know, along with that and, and a lot of trial and error and a lot of error. As, as you're going along, and a lot of happy mistakes, um, but you've got to be able to work with people to get the best out of what you're doing. I think. So, I'm, I'm, uh, how I'm still, I'm still interested as that 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 actual nugget as to was there a specific thing that happened where you suddenly went right, okay, um, yes, I'll edit that, yes, I'll I'll jump in and help on that. And do you know what I mean? Something, a point where you thought, hey, maybe editing is a thing I could do. Yeah, I th- it was probably, because I was, I was an assistant editor in feature films before I became, in, became an editor. And, you know, as an assistant editor, it's, more, it's slightly more of a technical job than anything else. Right, um, yeah, right. So, so the comparison in the music industry is the, en- the engineer twiddles the knobs and gets the, and, and gets the raw sounds... The producer yeah. oversees the whole thing and is in charge of the direction and everything else, whereas your engineer is kind of like scurrying around, like actually doing the, the, the physical switching of buttons, etc. So Yeah, giving, giving you the, uh, giving, giving the mix uh, everything he needs to you know, do his job without having yeah. to worry about anything. I mean, I think that's a, yeah, it's a good analogy. It's a very similar kind of thing. Um, so I was working on the original Bridget Jones's, uh, Bridget Jones's diary movie. Lucky, lucky you. Oh, it was great. I was, you know, I was, I was in my, you know, I think I was about twenty-five, twenty-six. I was, you know, I was quite young to, you know, I've, I've done a few films up until that point, um, and they were looking for another editor to, you know, to, to 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 try some other, you know, explore some other avenues with 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 the uh, with the film, um, and they couldn't find someone immediately. So I stepped up and said, you know what, I'll um, you know, I'll do it if, if you'll have me, and then I. Um, I spent three months um, editing alongside uh, Martin Walsh, who's a brilliant editor, Oscar-winning editor. He cut Chicago, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, a whole raft of amazing films. Brilliant editor. Right. I, I learned a lot from him, and that was the last time I, I, I ever assisted. It was like from that moment on, um, I was like, I, I can do this, and, and and I was young enough to kind of, you know, have that kind of. Uh, you know, cockiness self-belief that of yeah. course i can do it yeah um, yeah i've done it i've done it uh, once of course i can yeah, do like, this once, of course i'm now an editor and that's, that's what that's what i'm gonna be yeah so i think it's probably on that when i realized i could do it and and again get on with you know different personalities and stuff um and from that point on i uh i after that i edited the ali g movie i was quite young to do that that's my first big break is a, a studio movie yeah um, i think i 26, 27 years old when I did that, about that, and I was quite young to cut feature film. Yeah. Um, and that was it. I was off then, and off and flying, and then 
I got an agent, and then I got um, then then the first thing I ever cut in TV was Spooked season two, which I got a BAFTA nomination for, um, and then I kind of just worked on continued to work on high end, you know, high end uh, TV drama with the odd film thrown in. I won a BAFTA a few years later um, uh, for a TV series called Bleak House I Cut. And I've been kind of working ever since, learning every on every job and, and applying those things, you know, as much as you can to every new job. So it, so the disciplines between the two, TV and, and movie, are they vastly different, as in your specific role and the pressures that, that come with it? Um, or, no, or, or is it just project by project and you just take them as they come? I think, you know, there may have been one at one point quite a disparity, but I think now there's so many people... Good people working in TV and film, and, yeah. and, and flick between the two, I think there's very little bit in it. Obviously, with with feature films, you've got a lot more time to work on. And TV is quite a quick turnaround, um, so you normally you'll have more time to cut a film. I think the pressure in films is much higher, much greater, in terms of um, you know you, feature films are all about getting their money back and earning earning money. Yes. Fundamentally, when you kind of boil it down, um, obviously they, they need to be as creative as they can be and as good as they can be. But ultimately, you know, it's a business and they, they need to earn money. Whereas with TV, obviously it needs to be as good as it can be. But you are you have an hour's slot on telly that you are filling. Obviously, you need to do a good job and it needs to be as good as it can be. But it's, a, it's slightly different, I think, and, and, and the pressures are slightly different that come with that. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, you must have seen a massive difference in you know the the way the way TV, if you like, has sort of caught up with film. Um, yes, yeah, huge, huge, and I think that's you know, a lot to do with all the different channels and the streaming services, and, and and you know, so much content needs to be made now that it's just given so many more people a platform to to you know to to showcase their work in terms of writers and directors and stuff. So there's it's like a boom, really. Obviously, apart from, you know, the virus has put a bit of a, you know, put a bit of a halt to all that, but it's kind of like, it, it felt like it was a boom time. You know, lots and lots of people were working. You know, all the facilities were booked out. You know, it's, it's, it's good times, really. Good times to be doing what you're doing. Um, but, the, <laughs> you know, this, uh, this, little, this little cold and flu thing that came over from China has kind of put a bit of a kibosh in all that. So it's... Uh, it's tricky at the moment, but I think it'll bounce back really quickly. I think it really will. Well, and and I really, I really hope it does as well. Um, and and but it's just it, 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 the 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 standard of TV as well. I mean, I just, I've just watched season three of of Ozark, um, ten episodes. That's ten hours of yeah. You know, it's ten that's ten that's hours, and it is all movie quality. Um, production, you know, the sound, the look, yeah. the performances, the script, everything, and you just think this, this is this is such an incredible age that we're living in from from a, a televisual perspective. It just means, you know, what it means that you know, there's, there's enough work out there for all of us, and there's enough good work out there for all of us as well. Which is which is, you know, obviously there, you know, there's continuing drama. There's there's, there's lots of different you know, standards of work out there and standards of kind of, uh, of, of shows. You've got obviously reality TV, you've got documentary, you've got series, you've got, you know, continuity drama, you know, your weekly dramas. 
you've got your returning series, you've got one-off mini films. I mean, there's just such a vast array of, 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 of good work out there across the board. It's, it is a great time to be working in the media at the moment, I think. And, and like I say, once this, this virus thing gets under control, I'm just hoping that there'll be, you know, the appetite to make is I think there will be the appetite to make, to continue making really good high-end drama. Well, I, I think I, I I I definitely think so because I think I, I think if this goes if, if this goes on as long as everyone's saying it's going to, um, everybody is going to be crying out for new releases. Well, yeah, and and, and all of, you know everyone's going to be hopefully rested as well, you know, and, and ready to ready to jump on board and do the big projects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we'll be fine. I think you know at the end of all of this. You know, obviously there's going to be a period of dusting ourselves off and catching up and all the rest of it. But, you know, there's there's a lot of content out there that needs to be made for, you know, across the board to the Amazon and Netflix, the Hulus and you know, Sky, all the terrestrial channels. There's there's a vast amount of slots that need to be filmed. So it's not going to stop. Yeah, and I think I mean speaking as somebody who works in music and comedy, you know, we're we're you know we're always saying the the struggle in our industry is getting people out of their houses and to see live entertainment. Same with with cinema. Yeah. Um, well, of course, after <laughs> if people are going to be imprisoned in their houses for three, four, five months, hopefully that attitude yeah. will have changed somewhat. There'll be there'll be bloom time for for theatres and for live shows. I mean, I think. Yes, and and maybe um, and maybe you know people of our age don't re- don't don't realise the the massive impact this is having on on you know younger generations. And I mean, obviously you've got you've got children yourself, and I'm just thinking to like you know late teens, early twenties, all of a sudden you know being imprisoned in a house. <laughs> I could not imagine. I could oh. not imagine at the age of like eighteen or whatever being. Stuck in in my house with my mum and dad at that age, I would have gone absolutely nuts. And back then, of course, we wouldn't have had social media. We wouldn't have had oh. you know, any contact with our friends. We- but, you know, the, the good thing about this generation is that they do have social media. They they can all contact see each other, contact each other. They can play online together. There's, there's so many ways of communication. You know, when I was when I was seventeen, eighteen. You had your home phone, and that was it. Oh. You were only allowed on it, mate. I was I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking it's like just just imagine if we were going through this right now with no mobile and no internet. Oh man! I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, get, show me to the nearest cliff. If I was allowed out, I'd go find the nearest cliff. <laughs> that's, and that's, it. that's it. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's so, it just doesn't bear do thinking have, about. You know, the kids these days they, they do have, you know. I know it's hard for them because they have everything at their fingertips, but they do have access to, you know, a wealth of information, knowledge and all the rest of it that we never had. So for them, as hard as it is to stay in, they've got, you know, they can keep themselves occupied. I mean, like I say, yeah. the eldest boy is learning to edit. So it's just about trying to utilise the time that you've got positively. Well, it's funny you were talking there about, and, and I completely agree, by the way, yes, and you were talking about screens. Do Do you have a... Do you, do you have an issue with inverted commas your you know your material being watched on like you know a tiny screen or whatever? Does that kind of 
wind you up at all or is it or have you very much an adapter of the just let everybody watch everything on everything who cares that's a good question um that is a very good question i um i get i i, I get annoyed when i when, when we're presenting and when, you know when you spend all the time getting the cut right and you're presenting the first cut to the execs and they're seeing it for the first time I like having them in the room on the big screen in the cutting room so we all sit down and sit together on the good speakers and everything else. Yeah. The danger of watching things on your iPad or whatever it is, which do, it does happen quite often, is it's really easy to stop, take a call, to, you know, be distracted. Um, but that, you kind of, you can't get too wound up about it because that's just, that is the way that it is. Yeah. I, of course, I would prefer my work to be seen on the big screen with the big speakers and all the rest of it, but that's just not not realistic. So you've got to, you know, you can't you can't live in the past. You've just got to think, accept what what is, and and just hope that your work's good enough to, to captivate whoever's watching it, whether that's on the screen, you know, absolutely, a little computer screen or, or or a big cinema home cinema screen. I think you just got to do your best job and 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 hope that people invest yeah you know what i i funnily enough I was, i'm sat here nodding because i'm thinking yeah you know what i'd like everybody to i'd like everybody to sort of sit down and listen to our album on cd but ultimately um you know people stream um mainly now which is which is not ideal it's not the greatest quality you're not going to get the experience that we created in the studio um but like you say it it Every, everybody has their way of consuming it and, and you just have to kind of put your hands up and say, well, you know, it, it is what it is. I suppose the flip side is, is that, of course, you want people to, 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 to listen and to watch, you know, whatever you do at the best possible quality. But the flip side is, with, with all the streaming, you know, you're getting out to so many more people and so yeah. many more people are, are able to listen to or watch what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's like, you know, the, the purest, yeah, well, okay, so only only listen to it on a CD. You know, you're going to get a fraction of the people if, if, if that's all you want to release it on the CD. You know, you're yeah. going to get a fraction of the people listening to your work. And I think it's better for, you know, more people to see or, and hear your work. Yes. If the quality slightly less than, than, than in its purest form. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I do agree with that. But also, it, it is and and funnily enough, I think there's a, a little crossover between the two of us here again. Um, very much in our industry is you know you you've, you've got thirty seconds. You've got thirty seconds to to for somebody to listen to that first single, and yeah. that's pretty much it. And you know that that that's your window. And yeah. that's changed over the years, and that's that's very much you know a symptom of the last ten fifteen years. There's so much there's so much content. People spend less time listening to the content, so hence you have got to smack people between the eyes as quick as possible. Uh, how do you do that? So as you know, as, as a band, when you're putting an album together and a track listing and every that, you know that that it shouldn't be in the back of your mind, but it but it but it sort of is, and it kind of informs what songs you release as singles. Now, from a TV perspective. There's, again, it's it's the same process. There's so much out there. You've got, and I'm just wondering if that's actually kind of put more pressure on the position of an editor than than, than ever before, where you're, you know, you're 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 being asked to create those moments, you know, early on that are going to hook people in. Is there, you know, is is that a kind it's of direction probably, that you get? Probably, 
totally the same. It's like it's totally the same. It's like, right. You know, you know you, people will decide in the first few minutes whether they want to watch something. Yeah. So unless your opening, you know, is if your opening is 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 slow, you know, you're in danger of um, of, of losing your audience. Obviously, the, the flip side is the difference between you know the visual medium and and, and, and the music or the audio medium. I think is that. If you've got a stellar cast, people will yeah. tune in for that. They will, they will, they will give something the benefit of the doubt. If you've got brilliant actors, they'll go, you know what, I'm going to watch this. And even if they don't really enjoy the first episode, quite often they'll stick with it because yes. they might think it's going to go somewhere, etc., etc. So I think it, it's probably a bit easier in terms of what I do, but it's certainly in the back of your mind you want to open up with a bit of a banger and, 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 and get people drawn in. Yeah, yeah, and um, and like you say, you know that 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 um, that 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 exact example of you know it's got it's, you know it's got a strong cast, it's got two or three well-known actors, and you know you, you people will give it that benefit of the doubt because again, well, like if they're in it, it can't it can't be rubbish. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look yeah. who's in it. You know, exactly. So there's you know so so to agree, it's, it's kind of it's an easier proposition to kind of hold your audience when you've got a high caliber of actors doing the job whereas with you know with music if you don't get them in that first few seconds or whatever it is it's, it's harder to keep someone listening to your music I'd assume. well I, well i guess the comparison we're, we're talking about there is basically um the, the the big cast equivalent in music is being is being you know a really well-known band so metallica release a new album and people might listen to it and not think it's that great but they'll give it another two three four five six seven listens because they've got you know, because they're Metallica, because they've got this huge back catalogue. So it, it's 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 exactly. that kind of thing, isn't it? It's that it's that bringing that that heavyweight name to something does buy you extra exactly. time. So I guess it's 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 really never been more important to get those names on board. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, you know, luckily with the caliber of um, caliber of work that's that's being done in TV now, you've got so many huge actors um, coming over from. Films into TV. I mean, you, you think about Pretty Little uh, uh, Pretty Little Lies or Pretty Little Lies, whatever it was. Oh, what a uh, cast! I mean, what a cast! I mean, what a cast! You've yeah. got, you know, so many massive. Well, you've, you've got Mer- what, Mer- Meryl Streep, um, Meryl Streep playing Nicole Kidman's it, mother. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, when you've got that kind of caliber of, you know, actors in your. Um, you know, in, in, in your TV series, you're going to get an audience. You will get an audience. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and I think you, it's the same thing if, you know, the big band will have that kind of following. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's like when it's I, I, the reason I even started watching the first episode of Ozark when, it, when the first season started was, um, well, Jason Bateman, but more important, but, yeah. but more for me, Holly, um, Holly Hunter. It's like, she doesn't do TV. What the hell is she doing there? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's um, it's it's, but it's again, it's a kind of a great time to be, you know, working in the industry because some big weird collaborations are happening, and it's great. You know, I think the, the appetite is out there for on the small screen for for the, for the big screen actors, and I think you know quite often you've got people that would never normally write those kind of scripts where, well, you know, well, of course we're not going to get the big actors in. But now it's like, well, 
why not? Let's just write it, and, and they will, it's, it's a Jim Morrison, you know, write it and they'll come, whatever, you know, the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Build, build it, and they will come. Yeah, you're right. And, and will come. Yeah. And, and and I have to say, uh, private note: it's not Holly Hunter in Ozark. It's Laura Linney. My uh, my, my Laura ap- Linney. Yeah, my apologies to everybody listening. Um, but yeah, um, yeah it, it, and like you say, you, you're getting these people now doing TV where you just think, wow, that's like, that that barrier between television and 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 and, and cinema is just gone now. There's no there's no longer that somebody being looked down on as somebody being a TV actor. It's, I mean, that's no, just, I mean, it's just look, gone. You know, for example, you know, Game of Thrones. I mean, how, that was such a massive, huge, huge, you know, undertaking. And the production values on that were, were vast. I mean, yeah. you know, that, those are the kind of things that you were only, you know, you, you, you would normally only see that kind of stuff on, on the big screen because, you know, that's, that's all they could afford. But, you know, going, getting those kind of massive, shows with all those kind of effects on the small screen it just goes to show you know how much has changed over over the years do you, do you think game of thrones um obviously had a you know it's huge had a massive um impact culturally do you think it's had an impact on the industry as well where people have gone right okay so that that you know they've just they've taken the ante and upped it yet again and that kind of opened the door for other people to go right okay it's worth spending the money yeah, I, I think, you know, with all of these kind of big landmark, you know, TV shows, someone someone has the balls to, to, to make something as, as big as that. And then, you know, I think I think what, what that, all that does is opens up the floodgates for other, you know, massive shows like The Witcher, I think. is. is I've not seen The Witcher, but... I've watched you know, it. I've watched it. Yeah. That's got massive production values, right? So... You know, I, I just think what what it does is it just opens the door up for uh, for, for, for for other amazingly kind of like you know inventive and, and uh, shows that are just you know willing to push the envelope and, and and try new things and do it bigger and better. Yeah, and I think I think the the, the benefit has been felt across the board as well. I mean, you've seen you know you've seen a, a, I think a, a massive improvement in kids TV, um, and and just right across the board every form of entertainment um is being uh, you know is kind of being you know the standards are being dragged up obviously on the other hand you've then got reality tv which is doing its own thing um yeah well that's got you know that obviously has its own you know you know niche and its own you know serves its own purpose i'm not you know i don't watch a lot of it but you know i i get it i, I get it serves a purpose and, and there's a you know there's a lot of people that that are like that and, that, that, and that's great you know, it might not be my kind of cup of tea, but um, I understand that, that there's a huge uh, audience out there for it. And again, that's that's great. Yeah, and I mean, look, ultimately, it's yeah, we don't all like the thing, the same things. It's all got to be kind of mix, you know, put into the mix. Um, and speaking of which, I obviously um, started out in in stand up many many years ago, and and. Com- comedy is one of the is, is is one of the hardest things to watch. It's one of the hardest things to get right. Um, it's very rare that something comes along that that, I'll, that I actually enjoy and laugh at and all the rest of it. What's it like to edit comedy? Because obviously the t- the key the key is timing. Um, yeah. And and they, you know there must them because you've got to be surgical. You you because I know what timing is like in comedy. You know what time is. You you can't mess with that at all. So it. it I think- well, I've, I've only cut, I've not cut a great deal of comedy. I mean, Ali G was obviously a comedy. Um, 
and I had so much fun cutting that. I mean, Wait, that what was, was that? Sorry, Ali G. The movie. Oh yeah, sorry, Ali G. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, that was like, I mean, for for someone that I was twenty seven years old, I was. It was like Ali G was massive at the time. Yeah. It was so fun. It was like it was just so, every day was it's hard work, of course, but it was just brilliant fun to cut. And, and Sasha would come into the cutting room a lot. Um, because obviously he likes to have control over his um, creations, and that's absolutely fair enough. So you you know it was just it was it was a pleasure to do because you just all you're doing is you're just cutting for laughs. You're just trying to get as many laughs out. <laughs> as yeah, can. great. So it's it's just the case again. It's exploring the material to see how much fun you can have with it. That's awesome. And uh, what was he like to work with? Brilliant. He was brilliant. He was he was just he just knew exactly what he wanted. He was. You know, no messing. He was intelligent, articulate. Just he was just. I really enjoyed having him in the cutting room. It was brilliant, brilliant. Oh, that's great. That's great because um, yeah, I always I've 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 seen so many you know comedies that have sort of flattered to deceive and 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 fail in the end. Not that it's ever because you know, not that it's ever because of editing, but it is it is incredibly hard to get that to to get that vibe right. Um, I think I think you're right, but I think. Someone like Ricky Gervais is just, for me, is like a, a comedy genius. I love Ricky Gervais' material. You know, I, I think Afterlife was so inspired. It was just brilliant. And, you know, he, I think everything he does, and he, 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 I, think he, I think everything he does is brilliant. He's just, he's a joy to watch. And I think um, the emotional, what I find with his work is it can be really incredibly funny, but also incredibly moving as well. And I think that, for me, that's that 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 that's real comedy when you can, you know, mess with people's emotions like that, where it's so funny yet, yeah, and the next next minute you're you know you're on the verge of tears. So I, I love that, and it's great. Yeah, and and um, after um, uh, after life season two coming soon. Can't wait. I can't I, wait for that. Well, we're both we're both going to have plenty of time. We're both going to have plenty of time to watch it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I might have to rewatch everything again. I've I kind of been trying to figure out what I what I need to rewatch from the beginning. You know. Yeah. There's there's, there's so much choice out there. I think sometimes it can be a bit uh, daunting to to actually sit down and make a choice because there is so much out. Oh, it's 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 phenomenal. I, in fact, if anything, I, the last you know last few weeks, I found myself kind of like that. You know, when you go to a restaurant and there's just too much on the menu, and there's like there's, there's now five things you've seen that you would like, and exactly, I, and it's, exactly. it's it's like that trying to find something to watch. I know, it's, it's, and that's that's what it's like. It's a, you know, of course, you can just sit down and watch all of it, but um, you know, yeah, there's hours in the day, but. Uh, yeah, but you've got yeah, to start you, with something. Be, uh, you've got to start with something. It's finding that thing to start with. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would quite gladly watch the rewatch the Sopranos. I think for me, oh, what the a Sopranos brilliant call! Was, was, was one of the best ever uh, series ever. I just, it was just inspired. That whole, the whole series from start to finish was brilliant. Paul, you are talking my language. There are for me. There are three TV series that were key to changing the whole scene to put us where we are now. And those three series for me are uh, Sopranos, The Wire, and strangely, yeah. 24. Now, 24 was amazing. 24 yeah. was just 
brilliant. Well, I it was it was BAFTA recognised straight away, wasn't it? Season one and two won BAFTAs. So good. I mean, so, so, so good. I mean, Jack Bauer. I mean, what a dude. What a dude. <laughs> yeah. Who didn't want to be Jack Bauer? And he had a, the handheld PDA before the iPhones were out. He did, I mean, and and no nobody ever said schematics as 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 much on TV before as Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah, it's like send it to my phone. It's like we talking about sending. You yeah. can't send a map to a phone. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I'll it, never. <laughs> but um, but because you you had that which was which very much you know was what it was filming you know brilliant idea brilliant concept loved it. Then the wire which was almost almost episodic but done. Almost like getting under the skin and done in that almost mm. documentary style and completely mm. believable. And then you had Sopranos, mm. which is just basically the first Hollywood quality drama to come to television. It was brilliant. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I still quote, still quote that now, you know, there, there was just so many iconic moments in, oh. in, in that, in that show that it just, I could, I could, Devour that again. All see, I think it was six seasons, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. It was. I mean, everybody has their the the, the moment for me is when uh, is when Tony's uh, sister, Janice, she's yeah. she, she's married that absolute prick who's, <laughs> who's the rival, and and basically, yeah. uh, Richie. Uh, was, it, was it Richie or the other one? Yeah, it was, I think it was Richie, and she and she she kills him. She shoots him in yeah, a she fucking Richie, Richie Aprile. Yeah, that's Aprile. it. And she calls Tony to come over. Tony comes over, walks around the corner, and has to stifle a laugh at the sight of the corpse. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's absolutely genius. Oh, it is genius. It's, oh man, it's just yeah, yeah. It, like I said, I, I think they they really opened the door and started the whole thing. Um, and I've, and the weird you know thing what's really great about that is uh, my, my my son, who's uh, who's sixteen, he has done all six seasons. He he devoured it in one go as well. He loved it. Wow. I think it's one of those, one of those kind of shows that just you know reaches such a vast audience because it's just brilliant. It's so brilliantly written and acted and, and yeah. so realistic. I, I, it's, it's kind of timeless in a way. It is, and I and and I remember a lot of uh, there was a lot of moaning at the time, but I I actually liked the ending. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know what? I was I was a little bit kind of like, oh, is that it? I was a little bit, is that it? But. I just I I wanted it to continue. I did not want it to end. So yeah, I was a, yeah. You know, for me, a bittersweet ending. And you know, obviously, you know, every, the good thing about the ending is that anyone can you know bring their own opinion to the table because it was inconclusive. Yeah, and I'll, but also I think it's like again, you know, when shows are popular at the time. I think people, for instance, who are, who've never seen Game of Thrones before and will watch all the seasons and they'll watch the last episode and go, oh, right, yeah, that's fine, that's cool, that brings it all together. But yeah. at the time, everybody, you know, everybody's screaming for the ending that they wanted. So therefore, that's it. you know, and that's, you yeah. Know, you won't please all the people all the time. Exactly, exactly. It's just, and also that it brings that as, as a viewer, and, I'm, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. As a viewer, I think you get out what you put in. If you if you're going to bring a load of expectations, either negative or positive or whatever, you know, you're going to get out of it what you bring to it. Um, yeah, I think you're. I, I I I'm I'm very much a person that if something's really popular, I try. I I, I have this kind of thing inside me that I just can't yeah. watch it. Yeah, I know. I, I can yeah. very late. 
the Game of Thrones because everyone was banging on about how great it was. And I was like, oh, God. You know, I, I, quite often I get disappointed because the hype of something very rarely, very rarely, you know, does anything live up to that. So I was quite late to Game of Thrones and I started watching it and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> and I, I, I loved it and I really got into it. But when it was, you know, when it first came out and people were, were raving about it, I didn't, I couldn't do it for someone. It's like with Pinky. I had not seen an episode of Peaky Blinders before I'd been offered season five to cut. <laughs> right. Not right. So I obviously then got sent all of the um, previous seasons. Yeah. And as soon as I watched episode one, I was like, I'm in. I'm in. This is amazing. I love it. This is great. So, um, but I tend to come to things sometimes a little bit late just because I, I can't be doing with all that hype of, 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 of that being the, the, the next big thing. Um, I'm I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. Um, although I was right, I was there right from day one with Game of Thrones. So I, I think with these things, you've either got to be there from day one, um, yeah. or you hear about you hear about all of the you know you hear about all the the hype and you just think yeah do you know what I can't be bothered with that. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I, don't, I'll, I don't know what it is. I, I don't. Know I, what don't. It is. I just kind of. I think it's because I think you have to be ready to watch something. You got to be you got to be ready to to absorb. You know, if you're going to invest that amount of time in something, you just have to be ready to, and be open to it. And I think if you're, you know, if, you, if, you, if, if, if the whole hype thing gets on your nerves a bit, I, I, I feel like I'm a bit, there's a part of me that's shut down and, it, and I wouldn't. I, I'm, 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 I'm exactly the same. I feel like I'm being shut. I shut down, and I know why it is because I feel like I'm being, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm being told to enjoy yeah. it. And I'm also feeling like I'm being, I'm being told that I'm wrong for not already watching it and thinking it's brilliant. Yeah, so it's a double turn-off. Yes, know? basically. But then when you come to it later, then you can binge because it's all out there. That's the other good thing. It's, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can, if you get into it, it's like, right, well, then I don't have to wait for next week because I've got, you know, four seasons that I've not watched anyway. Oh, it's, I mean, you know, can you, waiting for a whole week to watch the next episode, it's it's like, I mean, that's the one thing I liked about Games of, Game of Thrones, is it just kept, it kept you on the hook. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I, 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 I really hate now having to wait a week. Yeah, for, <laughs> so like, do I. You know, it, it's torturous. I mean, I like it when, like, when they release a miniseries, like, four part, over four nights, I think that's great. You know, you get an hour a night and you can go, You know that in that one week you're going to mail it, you're going to do it. I, I like that that kind of release schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, uh, there is there is something about waiting that week. I mean, uh, the last thing I can remember really, really hanging on and waiting every week was um, was probably Buffy the Vampire Slayer, actually, which is which is a. Again, for me, one of the one of the, one of the great TV series. Now, some people will be listening to this and thinking, "Absolute genius! It's brilliant." And others will be like, "But it's a it's a it's a kids program. Absolutely brilliant, honestly." I've never um, watched an episode. Never watched an episode. Well, it's ba- basically that's where Joss Whedon started. Joss Whedon's creation oh. was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He then created, you know, the Angel spin-off series. Those two, se- and you know, and that's how he got to where he is today. Oh, maybe I should go and, go and watch them. Oh, I, I don't what season one is a bit rubbish, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they're just finding the look and they're finding their feet. Season two um, is is a lot better, and um, in, in fact, there, there is a there is a there's an episode. 
oh god, I can't remember what it's called, but it won an Emmy. And oh, it's called Hush. So if you get a okay. chance, if you get a chance to watch Buffy, Hush. Um, that's the, that's the episode they won the 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 Emmy for. There's also a musical episode which is incredible. What like it's all, all done as a musical? Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Brilliant. Basically, a, a demon turns up to town, um, and he's a he's a song and dance man, and he just infects the town. So everybody keeps <laughs> bursting into song about like having just done their dry cleaning and. And, amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's it, and it is. It's absolute, and the songs are brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's it is just, yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely wonderful. I'll have, to, I'll have to. I will. I will. I'll check that out. I will definitely check that. Well, out. do you know what? That is a per. That's a perfect place to um to 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 finish up. Um, believe it. Yeah. Believe it or not, it's like it's, you know best part of an hour and a quarter. We've been jabbering away. Um, yeah, I know. Time flies, doesn't it? That is fun, Brian. Yeah, that is brilliant. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, not at all, Brian. I'm, I'm really appreciate it. You're going to be the first episode of my first um, uh, movie podcast because I have the the music podcast at the moment, and it will just be it'll be going out to the same people. Um, so, uh, but hopefully, getting a few more subscribers in as well. But I, I really do appreciate you um, uh, coming on and, and making the time. Thank you very much. Anytime, anytime, Howard. It's been great, mate. Thank you very much for inviting me. Not at all. Thanks a lot, and say hello to Tam for me. Will do, buddy. Take it easy. You too. Take care. What a lovely, super knowledgeable, totally top man. Um, just in case you're wondering how Paul and I know each other, um, this sound this sounds wonderfully middle class. Um, but um, uh, Paul's wife is a masseur, and um, I tend to get massages. Um, from her when I'm, you know, pre-tour, when I get back from tour, anything like that, any problems at all. Anyway, that's how that's how we know each other um, because obviously, you know, we we we've we've met a few times, um, and funnily enough, <laughs> I walked through it when I when I was first started um, seeing his wife, which is a strange <laughs> strange phrase. Don't go there. Um, I walked through the front room and saw this this bafter on the um, uh, on the uh, mantelpiece, and I was like, wow. Right. Okay. Who's that? So, and you know, I've been wanting to get Paul on ever since. So it was really, really cool of him to do that. And um, I think you'll agree. I mean, I look. I'm. I'm a. I'm a movie movie enthusiast. I can. You know. I can. I can write dialogue. I can write. I've worked on a number of um, uh, screenplays in my time, and obviously, writing comedy is is it's quite a discipline as well. So I, I kind of understand that and, I, and I'm a creative person, but when it comes to actual movie making, you know, uh, technological facts and the, the practicality of it, obviously I'm at a loss. Um, and, and to be honest, I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm more of a fan than anything else, like you guys listening. So what I'm, what I'm getting around to saying is I'm going to learn the same way you're going to learn. And I learned a few, I, I learned a few things from Paul there and a few phrases and a few te- uh, that, that, I'll, that I'll remember and, you know, how things work. So, um, you know, hopefully I'm going to learn with you guys, learn more and, and, you know, just expand your movie knowledge. So again, huge thanks to Paul. That was awesome. I really, really enjoyed doing it. I've only just finished doing that. Um, 
given that we sat here on a corona duty like everyone else. So that was really, really enjoyable. Now, they're all going to, all of the different interviews are all going to take different routes because some people might be involved in the industry, some people might just be fans like myself, fellow musicians, whoever. So there's going to be a real mixture, a real, real mixture. Um, and hopefully, you know, you're on board. Like I said, these aren't going to be as regular as the normal podcast. These are going to get done when, when I've got somebody um, who wants to talk movies. So there you go. Or who wants to be on Movie Bollocks. Um, right, your tip for Netflix. There's only three seasons of it, but I'm, I'm going to do Netflix tips every month. Um, if you'd like tips for um, Amazon Prime or anything like that, I'd suggest going listening to another podcast because I don't have it. Um, so your tip on Netflix this week is there's three seasons. It's called Travellers. It is about time travel. Uh, there is, you don't witness any time travel. Everything is in the present. That's why it's so brilliant. Um, it's really well written. Every time you think that you've spotted something or maybe a flaw or a hole they've missed, they've got it covered. Great acting, great stories, but most of all, most of all, when it comes to time travel, it's actually original. It's actually really original, really well done. Not all the usual tired old cliches. Um, I love it. I love it. And as a completely off the wall recommendation, I'm going to recommend to you Money Heist. That is for the fourth season is out today, which I shall be plummeting, plummeting, plunging into. Um, it's a Spanish TV program, and um, it's about a bank raid, um, basically breaking into the Bank of Spain, remaining there, and printing a lot of money that's going to be their own. Okay, um, and yeah, it's on season four, <laughs> so <laughs> I know what you're thinking. That's a long bank raid. But look, all sorts of things have happened since. I don't want to give anything away, but if you're prepared to watch something with subtitles, uh, Money Heist is excellent it really really is um i can't i can't recommend it highly enough and i am going to be listening to it uh, sorry listening i'm going to be watching it um this evening and i'm very excited about that good for me also as you heard in the interview there i have seen witcher um try and forget about game of thrones while you're watching it um it is it's it's not bad by the end i was like yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to season two i've also watched um so you don't have to <laughs> Uh, Letter to the King, which is another similar-ish... It, it's a kind of cross between Game of Thrones, The Witcher, and um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Letter to the King. And um, it's a bit average. I mean, I watched all six episodes. It's only six episodes, but it's a bit average. The other thing on Netflix is The English Game. It's all about the birth of football, but to be honest, it's more. it's more a... Uh, period drama about uh, class and unions and things like that than anything else. So there you go. Um, that is where we're going to leave the first ever episode of Talking Talking Movies. See, I've changed the title already of Movie Bollocks. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for inverted commas, tuning in. Um, please do spread the word. Uh, get as many people into this as you can, just like the normal podcast, and that would really help. Um, if you were signed up at Patreon, that is patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith, you would have got this uh, podcast a good few days earlier. And depending on who the interviews are with, um, I will be getting patrons to submit their questions as well. So if you'd like more, you know where to go. $5 a month, Patreon. Goddamn, it's worth it. Believe you and me. Anyway, thank you very much for supporting the Talking Pollocks empire. Hopefully I will be back 
uh, talking movies with another movie bollocks very soon. This was episode one. Thanks for listening. But that's not all. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've uh, actually got some more for you. Um, so, basically, I uh, recorded that a while ago. So, two things to talk to you about. Firstly, I have watched um, The Gentleman, the uh, the latest Guy Ritchie movie. Nowhere near as annoying um, as I was expecting. Um, but having said that, I mean, it, it you know, it kind of it, it bubbles along and it was perfectly um, respectable and a half decent. Um, sorry, a message just came in there. Uh, a message has not gone off like, oh, bloody hell, not another one. A message has not gone off on your phone. All right. My apologies for that. Um, so anyway, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it passed an hour and 45 minutes. Um, it just seems a bit weird, a bit dated. I mean, it's like. Hugh, Hugh Grant's character is, is, is hinted at that he's possibly gay and may or, or, or might not be as like in other words so why why would you infer something and, and not it's just pointless um, and I don't, tonally it's a bit all over the place you know what are you as a movie are you a comedy are you an action are you a thriller thriller it's not really any of those also that the, the really dated use of newspapers in inverted commas as this as this huge powerful organized it's like those days are gone and the and and the the caricature of a um newspaper editor as well as if they'd have 150 grand to chuck around these days in a story it's just like it's like when is this set uh it's just, there's just a lot of stuff you know charlie humdrum was not as bad as normal <laughs> i've actually met him and he was a lovely guy so i don't know i I feel a bit bad about calling him that, but uh, yeah, Charlie Hunnam is all right. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's you know some, there's some good performances in it, but at the end of the day, it was just for me, it was just a little bit like, yeah, I think um, it's just, it's just what is it? And it just, it, it, it did it make me laugh? No. Um, did it scare me? No. Was I drawn in and thrilled and, and waiting on the next bit? No. And that's the other thing as well. There's this almost sort of knowing attitude about the way the script is written with a um, with 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 a a script within um, the evidence with which this guy is going to blackmail somebody and get a lot of money. Um, and so it keeps referring to that and referring to scripts and oh, what happens in a movie and how to build a climax and oh but this is coming up to the climax and the weird thing is for a movie that actually states this is the climax this is the climax it's not very climactic that's for sure just sort of comes and goes and you're like oh yeah right okay whatever yeah thought might that happen that might happen so um so yeah that was that that was frustrating and again like i said the timing and this guy has got like exclusive evidence locked away that is going to be worth that is going to be worth like millions right and he's and he's he's put all the evidence in little suitcases and hidden them i mean has the guy not got a microsoft office account upload to the cloud one terabyte free you fucking idiot so that, you know, again, all of these things that contradict each other. There's so many contradictions in that film. But anyway, the, 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 the most glowing review I can give of the latest Guy Ritchie movie is it's not shit. All right, there you go. Now, now a little tip, a little hint. Um, during lockdown, try, well, not try and track down because it's very easy to track down. And that is um, uh, a TV programme called Southlands. Not Southlands Tales or Southland Tales, it's called Southlands, okay? With an S on the end. And I'm going to absolutely kill, uh, kill, kick myself. 
Um, it doesn't have an S on the end. What a liar. It's called Southland, okay? Now, the, the, the website Daily Motion, that's dailymotion.com, have got just about every episode ever, and you can just stream them for free, no problem. But just Google it, you can find it. Southland. Um, it's quite an old American cop show, but believe you and me, it has not dated. Mobile phones are slightly bigger, but other than that, some of it is really hardcore, some great action, um, brilliant storylines. Um, I mean, it really is. It's up there. I mean, well, there's five seasons. You don't make five seasons of something that's rubbish. Um, but it was, it never really took off over here. And I lost track of it after two seasons. It used to be on really late at night on, on channel four. And then I lost track of it. Finally, I've managed to find it and get uh, and start catching up with it. So, if you want to start something from the very beginning, which is very cool, um, that no one else seems to know about, then definitely check out Southland, um, a, a, a groundbreaking cop show, uh, American cop show that really did set the tone for the way cop shows were going to be done in the future. Anyway, there you go. That was the little addition that I wanted to add before putting this out. Um, I hope you're all doing well at home. I hope you're all staying safe. And um, I'll speak to you on episode two of Movie Bollocks. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye.